Galatians 3. I'm going to start in verse 19, and I'm going to read down through verse 25. Okay, Galatians 3, 19 through 25. Wherefore, then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But, the scripture hath concluded, all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So I want to consider tonight the law pointing to Christ. The law pointing to Christ. To get us thinking along the lines of where we're trying to go tonight, I want us to think about when do we consider the law? Okay, just in our civil society today, when do you consider the law? When we know it, what it says, and we are not doing that thing. That's when we consider the law. I'm driving down the road. I'm not really considering every second that I'm driving the speed limit until I see Super Trooper along the road and realize that I am not in accordance with the law. I'm doing not that. Okay. Then I think about, oh, there's a law that says I am going too fast. And then I think about it. When someone is in the commission of a robbery, they think about the law when they realize that I am about to get in trouble because there is said policeman. You think about the law when you know what the law says and you realize you are not doing that thing. Okay? Beyond that, really doesn't enter your mind. Okay? I didn't spend any time today thinking about felony charges and how you get a felony. Okay? Because I was not committing a felony today. When is someone condemned by the law? Whenever the transgression against the law is committed. Okay? Simple deductive reasoning there. Does this transgression of the of the law require knowledge of the law? No. Okay? Whether or not I saw the speed limit sign, I'll go back to that one. Whether or not I saw the speed limit sign, if I was going faster than the posted speed limit sign, I am still eligible for a ticket. Because I'm still condemned. Even though I didn't know it. How about this? 
is punishment withheld due to a lack of knowledge of that law. Officer, I did not see the speed limit, therefore you cannot give me a ticket. How many of you think that will work? Okay. No. Did, you, did the thing, Was it required that you do this? Yes. Did you do that? No. Ticket. Okay. Just, that's as far as it goes. Hopefully you have uh, already begun to see where we're going. But if not, to make it perfectly clear, our understanding of the importance of law in our society to punish transgressors in, is very instructive to the understanding of God's law. When a person, when does a person think about sin? When they know the law and they know they're transgressing that law. That's when they think about sin. Does the transgression of the law require knowledge of the law? No. But they're not going to think about it. Why? Because they didn't know about it. Does it change the fact that they've transgressed it? No. Does God withhold punishment for, for people who did not know the law if they have transgressed the law? No. So we can see it is very important for people to understand the law. So which is better? To live in ignorant bliss and transgress the law not knowing and pay for the eternal punishment of that in a place called hell? Or is it better to live knowing the law and the great condemnation that will ultimately come if forgiveness is not attained. Which is better? The preparation of the schoolmaster in our passage, the law, is paramount in both salvation and society. Without its stern instruction, mankind is damned and destroyed. Without its stern instruction, mankind is damned and destroyed. Many have the idea that we no longer live under the law, but we are under grace. That is true. If you are a Christian, okay? if you are saved, if you're born again, if you're not born again, you're still living under that law whether or not you know it. And you are condemned because we know that all men are sinners, whether or not they know it. Just because we live in the 21st century, just because we live in America in the lap of luxury, does not mean that we all live in this age of grace. That is not true. We, those of us who are saved, we live under grace, those that are lost, even today, even in America, are under the condemnation of the law right now. The law is very important for mankind to understand 
their state and recognize that they have a need of forgiveness. And then the next logical step is that they would seek that forgiveness. But if they don't come to that point and they live in blissful ignorance, they're damned. And one day they're going to wake up and realize when it's too late. So the law is very important. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. The law is good. In our passage, it says, Wherefore serveth the law? And in verse 25, that, that question is answered. But af- wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, verse 24, to bring us to Christ. That's where the law serves. And I want to look at several things tonight. First of all, I want to look at the fact that the law, the school of law, in salvation. The school of law in salvation. The law demonstrates that God exists. Isaiah 33.22 says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. How do we know that the law comes from God? Um, the law is actually several books. Okay? We, we generally understand that as the Ten Commandments. When we say the law of God, that's what everybody thinks of, and that is correct. Okay? But there is a lot of practical application that God gives afterward explaining the Ten Commandments. All of that is the law of God. There are separate parts. There is the moral law and the ceremonial law. Okay? Ceremonial law was given to Israel. Okay, these are the feast days. These are things about what kind of uh, material your garments can be made out of, things like that. Okay? They were to be a peculiar people. right? But in those books, there are laws given that are part of the moral law of God, and that hasn't changed. And how do we know that this law is from God? It claims that it's from God. The first commandment, what is it? What is the first of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's a deity, the deity, claiming deity. Why? Because I'm the only one that is worthy of worship. There are no others. Okay? The law claims that it's from God. The second commandment, thou shalt have no other gra- no graven image. Okay? Again, declaring Deity of God. Our law doesn't claim to be breathed from God. Okay, our justice system doesn't claim to be breathed from God. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna see later on. It's based on that, but in the preamble of the Constitution, it does not say, "I am God and I gave this law." Okay, like the Ten Commandments. Okay, it very explicitly claims. That this is from God. Number two, no one denies the origin of the Ten Commandments. Okay? When you see the Ten Commandments hung up on uh, a courtroom or somewhere like that, what is, what is the claim of the leftists? That that is religion. That comes from God. We don't want to have anything to do with that. You need to take it down. Okay? It's well known. Okay? That, that is... That is the law of God demands the existence of God. Is there some other law or code that is its equal? 
about the Code of Hammurabi? That's his equal? Have you ever read the Code of Hammurabi? There are thousands of them. You ever try to live your life based on thousands of laws? It doesn't work too well. Why? Because you get confused. And this law, technically, if I read the legalese right, contradicts this one. So maybe you, you can't live like that. Okay. How about uh, the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen from the French Revolution when they tried to list out all the rights of man? And if you violate one of those rights, then you can be chopped off. Your head could be chopped off. How would you like to live in that society? By the way, there were thousands of them. Men had thousands of rights decreed by the free government of France. Good luck trying to live under that code. I think we can keep up with 10. Okay? But can we? No. We can't even keep up with 10. So in its, in its succinctness, in its veracity, in its, uh, it, is, it is unlike any other law given. When man tries to come up with law, there are thousands of them. Because we've got, we got to nitpick everything. Well, nope, you can't do that. Nope, you can't quite do it that way. So we need to have another law and amend that law. And then, well, that didn't quite work out because Junior thought of this thing that would apply. So we've got to make another law. And they end up having thousands and thousands of them. God's law hasn't changed. There's ten, and then there's five chapters to explain them. That's it. Hasn't changed since when he gave it. The school of law reveals the transgression. Verse 19 of our passage, Wherefore serveth the law? It was added because of transgression. Okay. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, the law of God holds out a standard. And then, when we know the standard, we can look at the standard and say, I am not meeting up to that, therefore I recognize my sin. I recognize, I see my transgression. That's what the law does. The school of the law condemns mankind. I recognize my transgression. I've transgressed that. And then the next logical conclusion is I'm condemned by that law. Uh, Romans 3, 10 to 19. Let's turn there. This is a longer passage. I want you to follow along as I read it. Romans 3, verses 10 through 19. The Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is open, an open sepulcher, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is in their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. 
Correlation. When we go in our, in our civil law, in our criminal law, not civil law, I apologize, in our criminal law here in, in the United States, when you have transgressed the law, say, in a driving scenario, you realize that you have transgressed, and then you are condemned by that. The cop hands you a ticket. You have to appear before court. And then you have to go plead your case or pay the fine, one of the two. Okay? But part of that transgression is condemnation. You have to pay a penalty because of your transgression. We understand this. This is, this is common throughout all, all kinds of, all the law of man. Okay? And God's law is the same. When you transgress it, there is a condemnation. The law of God, then, because it re- reveals the transgression, because it declares that there is a God, because it reveals that we are condemned before that law, when, when man has gone all the way to the bottom and recognizes his state for what it is, because he has knowledge now of the law, and he looks up, that's when he can see the Savior. But not until then. If you're living in blissful ignorance and you don't know that you're condemned, you don't know that you're guilty before God, why would I look at a Savior? I'm good, man. I've got everything I need. And that's why we, our peop, the people of our country have bought into this and that's why they're living this way, and that's why you present them with the gospel, and, hey, man, I'm good. I've got a house. I've got a car. I've got some extra spending money. I'm good, man. What do I need? Because they don't know their state. And it's only when we, man, any man, any woman, any child, recognizes their state before God, they realize, they realize that there is a God, they realize that they have transgressed. They realize that they are condemned. Can they look up and see the Savior? And so the law has a real rule, role, R-O-L-E, in pointing people to the Savior, pointing people to the promise. Because if you don't go through it, you'll never see it. Verses 24 through 25, again, The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The point of the law was not to hold us under its thumb, but to point us to the Savior so that we can then live in the Spirit. So that we can put on the fruit of the Spirit. What's that all about? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Until you are free from the law of, of, of God, until you have repented of your sin and put that law behind you, you are under that law. You can't put it behind you. No matter how good you are, until you're saved, you cannot put on love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering. It won't work. You're still under the law. No matter how, how good you could, you could have, a, maybe you guys pulling someone to mind right now, they know that they're lost, and maybe you would say they're a good person. Are they? No. Why? Because they're condemned before God, and they are going to pay the punishment for their condemned state. But the purpose of the law was not to hold people under it. The purpose of the law is to get people to recognize, this is, there's more! There's more than this! I want you to walk in the Spirit. You need a Savior. Verse 25 says, But after faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. We're thinking about love. We're thinking about joy. We're thinking about when we go to work. How am I being long-suffering today? When somebody at work does something really dumb, do I just blow off my top and just lose it on them? Or am I long-suffering? Am I living according to the Spirit? Or when somebody at work does something really dumb, do I let them continue in their dumbness? Or do I put on love and say, hey, we need to talk about this. Time for some instruction. You can't do that when you're living under the law. Why? Because you will serve the law of sin. You won't react in that way. You're condemned. Those things are the furthest things from your mind. And it's only after faith comes that we can think on these things. We can live by faith. This is walking in the Spirit, putting on the things, the fruit of the Spirit. We should be thinking on things that are true, things that are honest, things that are just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue, and praise. That's what we should be thinking of. And that is the ultimate purpose of the law. So don't get it in your mind that the law is, is, is trash. We don't, we don't need that anymore. We can, we, we've moved beyond that in our sophisticated society. Don't need it. No. The law has a very, very important role to play. So the school of law and salvation, it is important. Okay, It's not that God made the law and then he changed his mind and he tried something else. No. It's still very important. And it fits with the arc of history. It fits in God's plan. It's all part of God's plan. The school of law and civilization. This is point number two. The school of law and civilization. The school of law and civilization should accomplish the same things that the school of law accomplishes in salvation. What do I mean? The civil law, the criminal law of a country should demonstrate that God exists. It should reveal the transgression. It should condemn men. And it should point people to Christ. When you have a law that is not based in God's moral law, you have a law that is worthless. 
You have leftism, where if you say that, that's hate speech. If you say the truth, that's hate speech. If you say that there are crime-ridden areas in big cities that are mostly populated by black people, you can't say that. That's hate speech. If you say that police brutality is not as big of a deal as some people killing other people or criminals killing cops, you can't say that. That's hate speech. We need to make that a law. You find that in God's law? No. When men Kaiser come up with law, they make criminals out of Christians. And that's what you saw in the early church. You had uh, you had to you had to in the Roman Empire you had to offer a little incense to the to uh, the emperor. Okay, and if you didn't do that, then we're gonna throw you to the lions. Why? Because their law was not based in God's law, it was based in the pride of an emperor. A society should do the same. The civil law should point to the same things. God's law was written and intended for a nation. Why would we think that our nation's laws should be different? Has God changed his mind about the law that he gave? We already established that. No, he has not. Who did he write the law for? What? Participation time. All of us, okay, but specifically, who are you writing for? Israel. He wrote it for Israel, who was a nation. What? Yeah. He wrote it for a nation. So in our, in our nation, why do we think that we should just lean on our own understanding of how genius we are and come up with new and better laws? He's given us the code book. We should base them off of that. In fact, that's worked pretty well for 200 years. What do I mean? Our laws are based on it. To the point now that we have progressed, right? The progressive saying we've progressed beyond those archaic rules. We have veered from that in judicial activism, in bureaucratic mandates, things of those na- of that nature. But our system was based and is based on God's law. So under point number two, good government is based in God's law. So point number two is the school of law and civilization. And point number one under that is good government is based in God's law. The Ten Commandments was recited in every school across the country and was displayed in every courthouse across our country. Why? Because that was the basis for our law. If you didn't have a basic understanding of that, you couldn't function in our society. didn't work. Where does the right to life come from? How many of, have, how many of you are familiar with the three rights, basic rights, that every man is born with? Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Where's that, where's that stated? 
The Declaration of Independence. Okay, what is the pursuit of happiness? Anything that makes me happy. Bubblegum. Love bubblegum. Makes me happy. Do I have a right to it? Okay, no. Okay, what, what's that talking about specifically? The pursuit of happiness. Property. Whatever my time, my life, the work of my hands procures, that is mine. And I can enter contracts freely and dispose of what is mine as I wish. And if you try to take it from me, that's wrong. Why? Because that's my right. If I own my car, Caleb does not have a right to my car. Why? Because I spent my life, my time, okay, your time is your life, my time paying for that truck, and it is mine. You cannot take it. So, life, liberty, property, pursuit of happiness, same thing, okay? Where does that come from? Thomas Jefferson, he's just a brilliant guy. He sat down in his desk, and he just thought for days, staring off into the middle distance. No. Where does that come from? The right to life. It comes from God. Genesis 2, verse 7. This is early, by the way. This is like the second chapter in the Bible. Okay, uh, Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So where does life come from? It comes from God. God gave it. It's a gift of God. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God gives life. God knows us before we even come out. The right to life. We know from the Bible that life is sacred. Genesis 9.5 And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. God is so serious about the sanctity of life, that if somebody takes what is their right, their life, takes their life, their life is to be taken. But did you notice what else it said? If an animal kills a man, what's to happen to the animal? It's to die too. Well, animals don't know about the law of God. Did it transgress the law? Yep, you betcha. Killed animal. Life is sacred. It's not something to be flipping about. It's a gift from God. Genesis 45.5 Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me thither. God did send me before you to preserve life. Joseph went through all these hardships. He went through being lied about by Potiphar's wife when he was righteous and he did exactly what it what God would have wanted him to do, what, what a normal man would not have had the character to do. Joseph spent years in jail. And it wasn't one that he had a big screen TV and he got yard time. Okay? Years in jail with the rats and the, and, the, and the nasty food and where people died just because they starved. Okay? Years in jail. But he recognized this truth that preserving life is a big deal, and thank God that you sent that I was sent down here. Even with all the things that I went through, 
Life is, life is important. That idea comes from God. And that's just Joseph recognizing that. Life is sacred. Your life is yours. Okay? Understand, okay, just a little caveat here. If you're a Christian, you surrendered. You get you the prayer of surrender, the prayer of salvation. Lord, my life is yours. Take it. Okay? So you surrender that. Okay? But understand in the context, what I'm saying is, my life is mine, not Ryan's. Okay? My life is mine, not Caleb's. Okay? It's, it belongs to God, but Ryan can't take it. All right? Your life is yours. Where did that idea come from? Deuteronomy 24-7. What's that talk about? Kidnapping. The Bible says that if a man of your brethren, it's talking about the nation of Israel, steals one of your brethren and sells them into slavery, they're to be killed. The thief is to be put to death. Why? Because he has stolen their life. He has taken their life. Their life was intended, was theirs. They had plans. They had things that they were going to spend their time on. And that thief took it. It's the same principle as killing them. They had plans. They had things they were going to do with their time. And you took it and you killed them. God says it's the same thing. Why? Because you have a right to your life. It comes from God. This idea comes from God. How about the right to liberty? Everyone has the freedom to choose. That comes from God. Joshua 24, 15. This is a very well-known verse establishing this, but Joshua 24, 15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a very distinct choice. And Joshua didn't say, you don't have a choice. You have to do this. You have to do the good thing. No, he says, there's a good choice, and there's an evil choice, and it is yours. This idea that government can force you to choose the good, it's not in God's economy. God recognizes that he has given every man a choice. Everyone has freedom to choose. Exodus 19.5, again, it's another verse. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my commandment, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. If is the, is the important word there. If ye will. Okay? The choice is theirs. In, in the New Testament, when Jesus is looking out at Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how many times would I have... Would I have pulled you together as a, as a mother hen does her chicks and protected you? But ye would not. You have a right to choose. It didn't come from our government. It came from God. I'm going to skip over some of this. I have, I have several. If you want to look them up later, write them down. Leviticus 26, 14 through 17. It's another passage that establishes this. So we've dealt with two. Right to life, 
Right to liberty. You're free to choose. They both come from God. The third one, the right to property. Does God have anything to say about property? You betcha. You betcha. He talks about in, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. He talks about, not so much in Numbers, there's not a lot in there, but um, he talks about land. He talks about crops. He talks about animals. And he goes so far to make sure that no one could go back to the law and say, God didn't cover everything. He didn't talk about hymn books. Okay? He says, stuff. Okay? I used to think that was like a modern phrase. Right, stuff. Don't touch my stuff. No, no, God used it. Stuff. Okay? You work for the stuff. It is your stuff forever. Okay? God was very particular about the right to property. One of the best passages, it just, it just has like many different examples. That's why I put it down. Exodus 21. You can read through that and you can see all the different things of property, items of property, that God gives specific instructions. If this happens, then this. If this happens, then this. Okay? The right to property comes from God. Point number two. Under the school of law and civilization, good government is always based in God's law. Point number two, good rulers read and practice God's law. How about Moses? Let's just think, let's think through this. Moses, you think he lived, read, and practiced God's law? He was so synonymous with the law of God that it's also referred to in the scripture as the law of Moses. Okay, that's how in tune Moses was to this. He was one of the greatest, he was the greatest ruler of the nation of Israel. The kings, the good kings lived by the law. The bad ones didn't. Okay, and it's very specifically spelled out in Scripture. He, this guy reigned for this many years, and he did that which was evil. This guy reigned for this many years, and he did that which was right. Okay? He, he, just so we're clear, we understand God made it easy for us. Good, bad. Understand. The kings. Deuteronomy 17, 18-20. God gave specific instructions. And it shall be, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law, and in a book out of that which is before the priests of the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn the fear of the Lord his God, to keep all the words of the law and these statutes, and these statutes, and to do them. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he might prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. That his heart be not lifted up. What would the law have to do with pride? This is what we talked about. It points out that there is a God. He's greater than me. I am lower, okay? Pride dealt with. I am a transgressor. 
points out the transgression. I am a sinner. There is a God. Pride dealt with. I am condemned before God. Pride dealt with. Okay, that This is why God says that the kings, they're supposed to be reading this. All the days of his life, it says. How about Joshua? What did God instruct Joshua whenever he was to take the leadership and to rule the nation of Israel? What did he say? Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Good rulers and good leaders obey and read God's law. This is well established throughout Scripture. You can, you can, like I said, you can go through the kings, and, you, and God lays it out very specifically. Let's bring it closer to home. George Washington, in his April 7th, 1789 inaugural address, said this. This is a quote. The foundations of our national policy will be laid in pure and immutable principles of private morality. We ought to be no less persuaded that the... Uh, wow. Propitious smiles, excuse me, propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself hath ordained. Well, it sounds to me like George Washington put a lot of stock in what heaven ordained, God's law. He specifically said we need to live by it. About John Adams, in an 1807 letter to his friend and Dr. Benjamin Rush, he said this, The Bible contains the most profound philosophy, the perfect morality. I'm sorry, the most profound philosophy, the most perfect morality, and the most refined policy that was ever conceived upon the earth. It is the most republican book in the world. And therefore, I will still revere it. The curses against fornication and adultery, the prohibition of every wanton glance at uh, or libidinous ogle at a woman, I believe to be the only system that can ever, or did ever, preserve a republic in the world. He said in another place, and I haven't written it down here, but he said, when I read the scripture... I don't always understand everything, but I obey it, and then I understand it later. What is that? It sounds like a guy that was committed to following the law of God. And he was one of one of our founders. Very influential man. Point number three, under the school of law in civilization. Point number three, examples of American law taken directly from God's law. We are talking about the big three, right? To life, liberty, and property, okay? But here, here are just some practical things that marry up with what God had already written down. The American court system. I'm not going to re- go through and read all this, but uh, if you write it down and look it up later, um, the similarities are quite remarkable. Exodus 18, 13-27. It talks about the judges that Moses set up. 
and how that they were structured. You had a bunch of judges for little matters, and then you had fewer judges that were over those judges that you could appeal to if your trial was mishandled or whatever, okay, and then you went to that judge. And then there were judges, fewer judges than them that were over them, and then if, if that didn't work and then it was a bigger matter, you would go to these judges, okay. It's the same thing that we have in our society. We have civil court, we have criminal court on the local level, the state level, and the federal level, okay. You have a structure of justice. That's what you find in the scripture. In fact, how many of you guys are familiar with the, um, the circuit courts? Okay, you have the First Circuit, the Third Circuit, the Ninth Circuit, and the Nutty Ninth out in the, the northeastern, northwestern part of the country. Okay, the circuit, where did that come from? If you read the founding documents, when they were discussing the judiciary, um, they quoted the passage in Scripture where it talks about the judges going throughout the nation of Israel going on his circuit, okay? There were judges in, in, in Israel, and they would go through, they had like a region, and they would go from town to town, okay? Circuit riding judges, okay? In the, in the days of the Old West, they had a big territory and few people, and they would, they would ride a circuit. That's where it comes from. It's based in the Bible. Equality before the law. Deuteronomy 1 verse 16 talks about that. Uh, every man is equal before the law. Um, innocent till proven guilty. Deuteronomy 17, verse 9. You'll find that idea. Due process. Okay, it talks about witnesses and the veracity of witnesses and how many witnesses you have to have to prove something. Okay, and it doesn't say their gender. Okay, it just says you have to have witnesses to ver- verify it. So I couldn't accuse uh, Brother Steve of felonious mopery on the open seas and boom, he's in jail 15 years. Okay. I can't do that. Why? Because due process, innocent till proven guilty, and these things come from the Scripture. Perjury. Okay? What happened? What's perjury? That's when you go before the judge, you raise your right hand on the Bible and say, I will tell the truth. Nothing but the truth, so help me God. And then you lie. I saw Steve Starling committing felonious smopery on the open seas, and it didn't happen. What happens to that guy? God gave specific instructions about what happens to that guy in Deuteronomy chapter 19, 16 to 21. Okay? We have statutes that govern that in our society as well. There's criminal statutes for that. The civil law in society, point number four, examples of God's law that have become controversial. I weary of hearing this phrase bantied about by fellow Christians, and I used to I used to say this myself. Okay, so I joined the stupid club and bought the T-shirt and everything. Okay, you cannot legislate morality. I'm not ask for a raise of hands if you ever thought that or ever held that position at some point in your life. Okay, but that is the dumbest thing you could ever say. If you don't legislate morality, what are you legislating? The tax on bubble gum? If there's not a standard in society, what's the point? Do whatever I want. Let's have anarchy then. If we don't legislate morality, 
That's, that's what we should be legislating. That's what our laws should be based on. The law of God. The moral law of God. The Ten Commandments. Many times we, people now are shying away, even conservatives are shying away from the death penalty. Oh, we can't kill people because what if an innocent person dies? Man is flawed, so theoretically that's going to happen. But would you rather be on death row for ten years? That's what we got now. Would you rather for people to be on death row that for years and eating up the, the federal coffers, our, our tax money, to pay and, and provide for people that are serial murderers, serial killers? Where does it end? God had a solution. You take life, life is sacred, and now you've got to pay for that thing. And the way you do that is you have to pay with your life. We don't need to be ashamed of that. God said that. Why would I come up, why would I in my mind think, oh, I'm smarter than God? That's what you're doing? How about this? What's the, what's the God's criminal judgment on sodomy? Whoo! You're getting, oh, I'm going to lose my job now if I say that. Death. You commit that. God, God's not saying if you, if you have impure thoughts in that way. Okay, there are people that struggle with that than, more than others. Okay? But if you do that, God said the punishment is death. I'm smarter than God. No, I don't. I don't think. What's God's punishment for adultery? Death. What, what was the exemption? They wouldn't do it. So God said, okay, you won't do it. Here's a bill of divorcement. Every society since the beginning of man has agreed on two things. Number one, they give out their criminal uh, procedures to, a, to another person. Okay? They don't engage in tribal conflicts. Otherwise, you have Afghanistan or the Native Americans here where the Seneca always fight with the Cherokee and it's just a thing that happened for thousands of years, and it will continue to happen into all perpetuity. That's what happens when you don't give out the criminal justice system to a third party. The second thing every society has always agreed on is there are specific rules that we will follow in regard to the relationships between men and women. Why? Because when men and women have relationships, children come out of that, and somebody has to take care of the kids. Back to life. We shouldn't shy away from that. That's what God said. Now, <laughs> it doesn't mean that we as individuals get to run around and be like, oh, he's a sodomite, kill him. All right? That's not what God intended either. Okay? This was intended for a nation, and they were to have due process. Okay? If you go out and kill people just because they committed a crime against God, you have denied the law of God, and not giving them due process. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not putting that out there that it's on our responsibility now to go find people that have committed acts against God's law and to mete out God's law. No. But I'm not going to shy away from that. The law of God is good. The law of God is pure. The point is, 
not for people to be condemned before God into perpetuity. The point is for them to see their need of a Savior and repent of that and turn in faith and then walk in the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. That's what God intended. I'm so tired and weary of, you can't legislate morality, and if you, if you believe in that, you're mean. That's not the point. The point is for them to live in faith, to live in the Spirit. But if you throw out the law, you throw out the schoolmaster, what do you have? A destroyed society, that's what you have. And you have men damned before God and on their way to eternal hell. That's what you have. couple applications, and I'll be done. The law's significance in the individual for the family and in society is paramount to the understanding of God's law. And it is essential in the presentation of the gospel because it is the schoolmaster that brings people to Christ. You can't skip the instruction of the schoolmaster and expect someone to understand that they need a Savior. If you skip it, guess what you get? Oh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just pray that prayer and I'll be good now. Number two, we need to recognize that the laws of God laid down are not old and outdated. His laws are eternal. and His punishments are just. If we do not defend the righteous judge as Christians, as children of the king, as children of the royal lawgiver, is Roy Cooper going to do it? He's left, God has left us here to be his ambassadors. And if we shy away from the law that he's given, who else is going to do it? Who else is going to speak the truth? It is the truth. It is right. Number three, we need to embrace the responsibility that we have been given. We have a responsibility to exalt the righteousness of God and the righteousness of the law by being involved. When was the last time you attended a school board meeting in your local community? Have you ever been to the town council? Do you know who your county commissioners are? We're in a dangerous place in our society because the ambassadors for Christ have pulled back. Now we're even debating amongst ourselves, should we legislate morality? When it's our duty to be involved. It's our duty to present the gospel. It's our duty to preach the law of God so that men could be pointed to the Savior. But we've pulled back in our society. Why? It's very important. Psalm 11 verse 3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? May I ask you, what are you doing as a citizen of heaven to proclaim the righteous law of God to proclaim the schoolmaster that can bring them to Christ. What am I doing? I think we should all consider that.
and put practical things into, into our place in our lives. I'm not expecting everyone to, to do everything. Okay? It would be irrational for Brother Dave to go home and look up, okay, when's my town council meeting? When's my com- county commissioner meeting? When's my state representatives meeting? And I'm going to go to everyone this month. That's not practical. Okay? But you can get updates on your phone about what's going on. You can attend some of them. You'd be surprised when you when you volunteer. People don't volunteer anymore. If you volunteer for things, you can get on the board. What? I don't have a credential. It doesn't matter. People don't volunteer anymore. You can have an influence. It's important. The schoolmaster, the law, is important. It has a very important role. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. It's part of God's plan to see the salvation of men. That's how God's will of not any perishing, but that all come to repentance. It's part of practically how that's fulfilled by the schoolmaster being prominent, proclaimed. Let's pray.